Hello and welcome to the Building Foundations podcast. Today I'm joined by Judith, a chartered town planner. Judith, could you uh, introduce yourself, please? Hi everyone, my name is Judith Onu. I'm a principal planner at WSP in the infrastructure. I've got seven years experience within planning, working in both the public and private sector. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and yeah, thank you for, for joining me today as well on, on this podcast. We got there in the end with a bit of technology issues, didn't we? yeah we we got there no problem at all um I just wanted to, uh, the way I always start these podcasts is is to delve into so you've explained obviously what you do but we kind of want to delve into how you came about joining the property and construction industry um yeah. what the thought process was behind that and then just how you ended up up there really so um yeah how did you end up in the property and construction industry so it started at a level um, a lot of people I've spoken to that were in planning, they all say they fell into planning by accident, but mine wasn't, it was kind of by accident, as in I chose the course. Um, but it was back at A-level and we had a really, really good careers advice um, service. And um, I think it was two weeks before I needed to submit my UCAS personal statement. I went in there and I literally sat down and said, look, I need you to help me write this. And <laughs> I remember the career service um person at the time Alan his name was he looked at me he's like mm, I'm not going to write it for you but we can discuss why you feel you can't write it um and that's when it all began really he just sat me down and he said look you know going to university it's a big you know you're going to be there three to four years depending on what course you pick you want to make sure you're happy so this isn't a decision I would rush if I was you mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I listened to that because then I spent another year at college and working part time and just really delving into what I wanted to do in the future. And um, he said, you know, we had a long conversation. He said, what do you enjoy outside of college? What do you actually enjoy? Um, what subjects do you enjoy? So I was like really into geography, um, really liked the human aspect of geography. I did sociology as well. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I said I enjoy looking at buildings I find buildings mm-hmm. interesting but I know I don't want to do architecture okay and he just said to me have you ever thought about town planning and I was like never heard of it what is it yeah and he said right for you to go and research so I did um I went to some open days at Liverpool University University of Liverpool even I went to UE which is where I ended up going and lecturers you know and found out that actually, yeah, I quite like the sound of that. Um, so yeah, ended up applying and I did a four-year course at UE, yeah. uh, social planning. And that's it really, the rest. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so actually, although you kind of fell into it in terms of the advice you was given and then you hadn't heard about it and you researched it, it's still it still shows you know a great deal of of research to begin with to make sure that you chose that you know that that, yeah. that pathway um because yeah. I think one of the things talks about on some of the podcast episodes I've recorded so far is that there actually isn't that much talk about the different options there are within construction properties they're right right at the early stages um so you you were very fortunate in the fact that you you knew that you kind of was interested in the industry and you had somebody there that was able to kind of open that pathway to you. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's really important that careers advice is brought back into schools. 
I think, yeah. you know, there's so many different options out there. You know, not everyone wants to go to university. There's apprenticeships, you know, and I think it's really important that young adults are given that advice at that point in time. You know, yeah. I don't even know where I'd end up now if I didn't have the careers advice. So I'm always really big on that. Whenever I speak to people, I'm like, is there a careers advisor you can go and speak to? Or, you know, somebody, yeah. when I was growing up, there was a lot, I don't know if you remember, there, there was connections. Yeah. um that was on the high street and within my school as well we had a connections um lady that you could go to and, and I don't really see that anymore I might be no. out of the loop but I'm not sure that that service exists and it's such a sh- because it was such a good resource you can go in and they help you with your cv you know they point you in the right directions the different websites to look at and I feel like you know obviously the construction industry like you said it's such a massive industry with so many different roles and yeah. people are just you know mainly aware of the main ones the big ones you know the engineering the architectures building surveyance but there's such a lot that you know young talent can get involved in and I'm not sure we're capturing that which is such a shame yeah definitely no I agree I think it probably depends a lot on where you're based in, you know, in, in the world or in the UK and what school you go to as to what actual advice you get given. Because my school, obviously, that was in Lincoln, Lincolnshire, where I am, that there wasn't a careers advisor or not that I recall. And the only exposure I had to the construction industry was thinking about, you know, people that maybe were working in the trade side of things, which wasn't appealing to me at that time. So then had I I went down a completely different route and and obviously I've ended up in recruitment but had I known about all these other avenues back then I wonder whether I would have chosen something different because actually it's a really great sector and so many opportunities um so yeah I think definitely more needs to be done doesn't it absolutely we'll touch upon that a bit later as well when we talk about sort of challenges within the industry because I definitely think that you know that's that's one of the big ones isn't it (laughs) Um, absolutely absolutely yeah Perfect. Okay, so go back to your your planning career then. So you finished your you finished your studies, um, and then I guess from there it was then looking for your first opportunity. So how how did uh, I mean? First of all, how did it feel going into the the world of work from there? Um, well, I left uni in twenty thirteen. I didn't actually get my first graduate role till twenty fourteen. Okay, I think. I took a year out in a way because I spent the last year studying abroad in France. So yeah. by the time I came back, I was I'd missed my family, missed my friends, and I just needed a minute <laughs> to kind yeah. of you know regroup and rethink. Um, so when I did finally get my first job, I felt ready. Um, I felt you know that I could give it everything, energy for it. So that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I ended up working at the planning inspectorate. And I don't know if you know where the building is, Bristol. It's such a large building. It's got so many floors. And I remember walking in and I was like, oh my gosh, so intimidated. Yeah. I was so nervous. Um, but I had such a lovely lady looking after me, Kate. And she was like, what have you got to be nervous about? We're all normal in here. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Um, but you know, when you come out of university, everyone's so professional, you know, they know what they're talking about. And there's you sat in a meeting yeah. being like, I don't know what that word is. I'm so lost. Yeah. Um, but I was really lucky, you know, I had supportive um, colleagues who really helped me through the process. And you just build your confidence um, yeah. as you go along. 
Um, so getting that first job was a bit like, yes, I, you know, kind of, yeah, you can do it. It's not impossible. And stepping foot into the working environment, I've worked in office environments before, but that's only part-time jobs during uni. This was a completely different war game. And it was, it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. But now I look back and I thought, I think that, yeah, I had a great time. I thoroughly enjoyed being there. And yeah. so if I any roles, I'd always recommend Pins. It's such a great place to work. So yeah, that was, that was my first role. Brilliant. Role, yeah. Fantastic. And did you, when you were actually applying, I guess, for that role and, and you secured that role, was you applying for, was there quite a few different things that you were applying for? Was it a, a long process to actually find that first role or did you actually pick it up quite quickly? Um, I think it was a long process. It took about, I think it took about six months. Okay. Um, and through that process, I went to different interviews Mm-hmm. And it was a learning process. So my first application I sent off, I think about it now and I think, oh, I, you know, I'm really embarrassed. To be <laughs> it just didn't cut it. And I think that's part of the process, isn't it? Learning yeah. how to apply for a job. Of course it is. Um, by the time I got to PINs, I'd really refined it. I knew exactly what I needed to say. I knew exactly what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And I knew exactly how to draw that out from my previous experience. Yeah. Um, and also some of the interviews I'd been to, I'd always ask for feedback. The first one, I can't even remember what I said. I was that nervous. I was literally like, oh, you know, doing headlights. Um, but by the time I got to PINs, I think I was still nervous, but I yeah. just understood what my skills were and having had feedback they said oh we didn't really understand if if you do this part of the job um I think for your next time around we draw that out from you know your experience working in customer service for example you know you you know how to deal with members of the public Mm -hmm. but it's just sure that you can draw that out and obviously it's not things I've necessarily thought of before because you don't really because you're not applying for those type of roles no um so I think that that is part of the journey so for any grads out there that think oh the first one didn't land I wouldn't get disheartened we all go yeah. through it definitely a process and it, the right job will land so it's, yeah don't worry definitely no that's really good advice and I think going on what you said there then asking for that feedback which you know as a recruiter it's something that we have to kind of draw out of the clients we work with sometimes and um I think whether you're going through an agency looking for a role or whether you're applying directly actually asking for that feedback is is really important isn't it um yeah because that's how you learn that's how how you do better because otherwise your application will be the same each time and you'll get no no further forward that's really really good advice um so you joined your first you know you joined your first company um you're really pleased by sounds of things that you joined them um you settled in quite well and then I mean talk us through the process I mean from there obviously you've become chartered so when did that come about is that something you started with sort of immediately or was it further down the line no so it's further down the line so it was in 2018 um okay. I got chartered so it took three years um and that was working through different roles so I went from the public sector into the private sector yeah um, ended up working for a house builder um and that was a really great experience as well because you get to see the whole process from yeah. the beginning to so when you first buy the site to actually houses up and people in their living and you know enjoying 
the, the houses that's been designed. And so the APC process was really good. I had a really good manager. She was very supportive. She really helped you understand what you were writing. Um, I remember yeah. now it was just things about supporting and being an admin. She's like, no, you're a professional. You need to draw that out in there. Um, yeah. So that was really good. She was like, no, you are supporting us. But yes, you are making independent decisions by yourself as well. And yeah. that's what they're looking for you to demonstrate. So draw that out. Um, but my main advice with the APC is start your logbook early. Yeah. Don't leave it till the last minute. Now I look back at my logbook, I think actually some some parts was hit and miss because obviously you're working as well. So sometimes you are busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go back and, you know, try and fill it up for the last couple of months. It's really to think through what you're writing yeah. And when I look back at my submission, I think you do grow. You see, like, your first entry is I sat in a meeting taking notes. And then by the time you get towards the end, you're I'm looking after this planning application, you know, yeah. I've submitted it, wrote the planning statement, liaison with the case officer. So you do see that gradual growth. And it's really nice to see because sometimes you just think, I'm not making any progress or this is you know this sometimes in the role where it is challenging but knowing that you are taking those steps to get in there is really encouraging that's why I I, I always say the logbook you should spend time on the logbook yeah if not for anyone else it's for yourself really at the end of the day tracking your progress yeah definitely I bet they give you gives you a lot of confidence doesn't it to see how much you've developed and how far you've come it's really good did you move from, so obviously you moved, like you said, from the public sector to private sector. Did you do that mm-hmm. on purpose to become chartered or was it just something that happened? What was that move about? So it was two things. So the job I had at Pan Inspector, it was free contract, so it was one year. Okay. Um, but it was a great way to get your foot into the door, like the planning world, really. So just to gain that experience. Yeah. Um, then when it was coming to an end, I did think, I was like, oh, do I want to stay in the public sector, private sector? Let's just apply. So I applied for different roles and I ended up going for, um, gaining a role as a planning assistant in a small planning consultancy. Yeah. Um, completely moved where I was living and things like that. But it just didn't work out for me. It wasn't the right fit. Okay. And that's another thing. If I think back, I would have done differently. I would have spent a lot longer looking at um the various roles and yeah as much as you want to get a job um, early on you want that experience it is also for companies to demonstrate that they're the right place for you yeah um so it is a two-way street you're being interviewed you need to interview them as well yeah because you know there's stories of people going to the wrong place and it you know their confidence is being completely shattered and at that stage in your career that's not what you need no um, I, yeah obviously you need someone supportive constructive criticism as well so it's it's finding the right balance I don't know if you found that as a recruiter yeah definitely I mean I love what you just said because it's something that I say to candidates when they go to an interview is it's a two-way process it isn't just about whether my client wants to hire you you've actually got to want to work for them as well um, if, mm-hmm. if you don't want to work for them, then it's just it's just not going to work. Uh, don't just take a role just because it's there. 
um, you actually need to make sure it's a good move longer term. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like yeah. early on in your career as well, it's it's hugely important because it can ultimately, it can delay becoming chartered. It can delay your progress. It can almost prevent future opportunities as well. So yeah, definitely important. Obviously, you know, you've got to where you want to be now, which is is a, is a great story. But no, that's good advice for, for anyone considering, um, yeah, where to go really. So before we kind of move on to actually becoming chartered, um, I just want to ask another question really about the private and public sector um, and for anybody listening. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think the main differences were when, because obviously you've worked for both now, so how would you kind of compare the two environments? And do you think that perhaps certain people at that stage of their career are better suited for one or the other? What would be your, your thoughts? Um, I think the main difference between public and private is that in the public sector, you are dealing with the public purse, mm-hmm. in effect. Okay. So everything that you do, you have to bear that in mind. And you're, I would say you're dealing more with the political aspect of planning. Yeah. So you work closely with local councillors or MPs, for example. You're much more involved in that world of things. In the private sector, you do obviously come up against challenges um, dealing with but it's not the same nature you're not as immersed in it as you would be if you're in the private sector um I think in the public sector I think there's the main difference in the public sector from my point of view is that I think they're severely under-resourced yeah um I know from my time in pins the people who work there worked incredibly hard with very little budget honest I mean I was raised at the type in the amount of work that they churned out and coming into the private sector you often get frustrated with things not going through as quickly as possible and you know it's come up in terms of not enough people in local authorities to deal with an application yeah but having worked on the other side I think it's helped me understand a little bit that it's not necessarily always the case officer that's the problem. They just don't have the resource to pull through the amount of applications that they're getting. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's been a good way of balancing and understanding the different challenges that different work environments face. Obviously, in the public sector, it's a lot more fast-paced. Yeah. Um, you know, your delivery is important. You have to be able to meet your deadlines and that's it at the end of the day so you're used to working at pace yeah Um, yeah from whether public or private sector I'd say it's down to you and what you want to get out of your career if you're wanting to really understand planning process and how local plans are formulated and the development management side of planning um looking at applications and seeing does that tally with what we've got in the local plan? Is it in accordance with national planning policy? Then maybe the public sector is better suited to your needs. Okay. If you're looking for a, a variety of caseload and working on big infrastructure projects, um, then potentially 
the private sectors for you I think it really really just depends I know that yeah. some private sector companies have fantastic graduate development programs so I'd say that they should sit down and think about what exactly is it they want to get out of their career. What are they passionate yeah. about? And then tailor your job search in line with that. So if yeah. you know you like working on big road schemes and highway schemes and you know airports, then you might be looking at a multinational um, company or yeah. engineering company with a planning um, team. So yeah, it just depends. Yeah, so tailor it. So it kind of comes back to what you're saying as well about making sure the company you're joining is right. So actually at the early stages, actually start to think about the bigger picture and perhaps where do you want to be and what do you want to have achieved in maybe five years' time. Um, then yeah. you can find out public or private, and then from there you can tailor to what company you might want to join. That's, really, again, really good advice. Um, brilliant. Okay, so we'll go back to your APC yeah, then. So you went through that process. Um and I mean, obviously you became chartered. <laughs> how, yeah. how was it at the end? So on the town planning side, I mean, I, I obviously speak to a lot of surveyors as well and they, they fill their log and then they have their professional interview. So on the town planning side, how was the process for you and how did you find out whether you passed or not? Um, there's no interview. Um, okay. town planning. So you've got to fill uh, your form, got your log book. And you've got to demonstrate professional competence. So you have three statements that you need to write. Um, and so you spend quite a lot of time going through that, demonstrating, do you understand the um, political nature of planning? If you encountered any ethical um, challenges during your career? If so, what are they? And demonstrate that. How did you okay. overcome that? Um, what did you learn because obviously as planners we, we need to abide by the rtpi professional code of conduct yeah so it's demonstrating that you understand that um in your role and um your professional experience statement just lines the different case studies that you've worked on during your time as a graduate and mm-hmm. um, prior to chartered and what was your role in those case studies so were you directly responsible for and stakeholder management were you directly responsible for drafting all the planning application documents so it sounds easy but it's really difficult as well because I think you've got 2,000 words okay um, to work with trying to fit I don't know 24 months or longer yeah it's quite challenging so you've got again that's where your logbook comes in because it helps you draw out the different skills that you've demonstrated on different um, projects um, yeah. all the way through. So that really helped me kind of organise my thoughts and um, put that into a statement. But I would really suggest it's really important to have people read it for you. Because by yeah. the time you've read it, like, you know, 20 times, you can't <laughs> read it anything anymore. So no. that was really good. Oh, yeah she was really good and then you get a letter through the post just okay. whether or not you've passed how long did that um, take I think it was three months from selection oh, quite a long wait there <laughs> so yeah yeah I think yeah and um I didn't pass the first time okay um so that was 
that was um disappointing but when I looked back I understood why yeah um because as part of that you also need to um outline a professional development plan okay and whilst you're applying to get chartered part of that is you need to maintain your professional development and so you really need to outline what you're going to do going forward to make sure that you're up to date you know in terms of your um cpd and Mm -hmm. other um and i other opportunities to develop your strengths and weaknesses yeah so i failed on that so i had to go back sit down and really think about it yeah really be critical and really outline where i wanted my career to go and in a way that helped me yeah and just to make the career choices that i have made since then um and then you get your certificate in the post which was lovely to receive so that yeah it's a really really lovely moment when you get that because obviously it's just a confirmation of all your hard work being you know worthwhile yeah. so you, yeah you get it in the post and with your name on it and MRTPI. <laughs> fantastic. fantastic yeah absolutely so um if we go back to obviously you said you, you know you didn't pass first time um, and I'm sure there's many people that you know go through that as well um and it's part of the process it's the same in surveying lots of people don't don't kind of hit it first time um so they gave they you know they told you where you needed to improve so you got some feedback so that's that's fantastic what advice would you give because it's it's very commendable that you you know push past that you didn't become too disheartened you did what you needed to do and and you went out and you got it and you achieved it some people might get extremely disheartened by by not passing first time what -hmm. advice would you give them having gone through that yourself I'd say don't get disheartened um Mm. if you're going to be in planning you need to be resilient um there's a lot that changes at you know a drop of a hat in when you're dealing on a project it can go from being brilliant to something out of the blue coming you know throwing a spanner into the works so I think you know it's an opportunity to develop that and at the end of the day, not everyone passes first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you could have passed your driving test first time and someone sat next to you. It could have been, you know, their third or fourth time. Yeah. The important thing is not to give up, just to keep going. If you know you want to be chartered, that's the process. And if yep. you don't get it the first time, and you're given feedback, then work on that feedback and submit it and demonstrate that you are able to do what it is they said they couldn't find originally in your application. Yeah. And that's the way to look at it. Um, yeah, I think if it's something you really want, then you just put your mind to it and go for it. Definitely. Yeah, you're right. We, we, you know, like you said, with driving tests, with lots of things in life, you don't pass first time. It doesn't mean that when you get to that end goal, you're any less capable than somebody who passed first time. It, it doesn't. Exactly. The end goal yeah. is the goal is just that you get there, however that route yeah. is. And it actually shows a lot of resilience to keep going. Um, how long did you have to wait between sort of submitting again? Was it was it quite a quick process or do you remember? I think it was the same amount of time. I found out actually when I was, um, the letter got sent home and I was at a friend's wedding and um, my sister said, "Um, I think there's something here that you're going to want to know about. And I was like, oh, you know, it didn't even cross my mind. I was like, what is it? And she's like, 
um, picture of the letter and I was like, oh, go on, open it for me. Um, so she opened it and she's like, ah, yeah, you've done it. <laughs> and that was really nice. Uh-huh. That was really nice. But yeah, I think um, I think it's the same amount. I think it's about, yeah, three months because I think yeah. you do it at the same time as everybody else who's applied. So okay. they give you different cut-off dates and then um and then you'll find out the same weekend basically they send out the letters on the same day and whoever gets the letters first finds out first I guess so yeah it's a really lovely feeling bet you had extra celebrations that day then Um, yeah really really enjoyed the wedding you know (laughs) my friends they were there they were they heard it all they were excited as well they're like yay well done so yeah Yeah. it was lovely awesome that's amazing. Um, uh, yeah, pleased that you, you know, obviously got there and uh, didn't become disheartened. And yeah, now your career is kind of your oyster, isn't it? You can go where you want to go now with it. Um, for anybody, so kind of now, so now you've become chartered. So obviously your role is is now different to when you first started. Your responsibilities are, are obviously going to be different. For anybody that maybe is listening and is actually even at kind of the undergrad stage or is even just thinking about university or um, town planning as a career option, just Mm. briefly describe what kind of your day-to-day role is, how you describe the role and the sort of thing they'd be doing. I think because it differs so much from day to day. Yeah. But if I talk about my role now, um, Mm -hmm. working on nationally significant infrastructure projects so you could be on that project for three to four years before it even goes into planning um before planning application is even submitted so it just depends where in that time frame you fall but let's say you've been on it since the beginning then your job is to assist in the planning strategy the scheme Mm -hmm. so if it's if a project comes in you'd look at it and you'd determine is it best to get this consent under the town and country planning act or is it better to go under the development consent order which is the 2008 planning act okay so that's you know the first thing you'd be doing when looking at that so after you've decided the strategy of which regime is best for you to go down you would then start to work up in as part of a wider team so you'd okay. have your ecologist you'd have your landscape architect um, you'd have your blood risk drainage specialist your highway specialist you know just a full project team for whatever that requires mm-hmm. you'd start working up the evidence base so you know if you need um an environmental statement that will start being worked up um, the details of the development will be worked up you start going out for consultation speaking to local authorities you know members yeah. of the public so there's a lot of coordination and project management involved um, there's a lot of communication not only with your project team your client and members of the stakeholders um, yeah. and then we get to the application being submitted that could have been you know two to three four years even just depending on the nature of it yeah the development you're working and then it's submitted to pins for examination and at that point it's kind of out of your hands a little bit because now the planning inspectorate they drive the program Mm -hmm. so they will issue a rule 
letter which outlines all the different deadlines you you need to meet as the project has been examined um, and they can be quite tight sometimes you know two weeks turnaround you might think that's a long time but when you're dealing with you know thousands and thousands of pages yeah you know we've got people commenting left right and certainly you've got members of the public commenting you've got um local authorities commenting you've got different national bodies you know like historic england for example commenting or you know the environment agency and you've got to respond to each and each one of those comments on behalf yeah. of your client um so it's a really intense period and the examination lasts for six months okay after those six months the examination closes and then you've got the um inspector or the inspectors considering all the information that's been before them yeah to issue a recommendation to the secretary of state whichever one it might be it might be the secretary of, state of transport for example if you if you've been looking at a transport scheme mm-hmm. um and within those three months three months they could either say yes you know we've examined this um project these are the um main key issues this is how it's been demonstrated it's been addressed or not addressed and therefore we we recommend it for approval or we don't once that's been submitted to the secretary of state they then have another three months to consider that recommendation okay and they will come out with either yes or no basically so you know transport can say yes we're happy with this or no we don't think it should be granted a development consent order so yeah quite a long process yeah but considering the, the, the scheme the, it's a long process yes but considering the scale of development it's it's not you know it the actual examination of it is very quick whereas for example yeah. if you were maybe going through a local authority it could take time so okay. yeah it's intense yeah there's a lot to do but it's just you know being a good team player being able to communicate well with your team your clients um with stakeholders yeah being able to you know retain a lot of information but also put that out in plain english as well not yeah. using too many technical terms so people understand what you're talking about <laughs> yeah because uh, even as a planner sometimes I'm willing to speak to you in technical language and you'll be a bit like mm, I can just <laughs> follow what you've said <laughs> yeah well um, so, yeah it's been able to digest that information and then put it back out and you know in a way that the audience that you're speaking to will be able to understand perfect no that's a good overview definitely so I think you kind of touched upon some of the key attributes that somebody going into this should probably have or certainly want to develop on I think obviously we talked about resilience um which was with the APC but also with the whole whole process in itself um then you talked about teamwork there didn't you and communication um is there any others you'd add or do you think they're sort of the three three main ones those are the three main ones you know when you're starting out in your career but obviously as you as you gain experience your technical knowledge becomes better you understand how things um work together you understand what could potentially be a risk 
Mm-hmm. Um, and these aren't things you're going to be able to do straight out of university. I know I couldn't, you know. No. And even now, there's still things I still don't consider to be a risk. But obviously, people with more experience in the industry than me are able to say, oh, actually, Judith, if you considered X, Y, and Z, yeah, no, I have it. Oh, you might want to because, you know, X, Y, and Z. So you're always learning throughout this process. Um, No no one knows it all. And I think that's why I really enjoy working with the team that I am at the moment because everyone's just so helpful. And, you know, they'll really support you and you support them through through it. It really is a team effort. That's really good. So openness to learn then. In a, in a bit of a summary would be absolutely essential um, yeah great okay so in terms of you then and, and what you're doing so obviously you've got you know your day-to-day role are you getting involved in anything else in the industry at the moment or do you plan to in the future so um I'm involved with the Bain Planners Network um okay. I sit on the steering group for that and um that network was founded last year in August so it hasn't been around for very long um but it's been such a brilliant network the founder um Helen Adapi she's a um Charter Town planner she's got over 25 years or more experience in the industry and it's been a fantastic network to be part of um just to promote diversity within the industry yeah and I think that's really important and I think that's why I was so keen to get involved because like I said earlier, I think it's such a shame that it's not a profession that's that's normally spoken about um, as mm-hmm. much as you would architecture or building surveying, for example. And I think it's such a brilliant profession. There's so many different routes within planning that anyone can go down. Yeah. And I think it's really important to bring diversity into this profession. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, women people from BAME backgrounds, you know, people from different social classes people from different parts of the country even just 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 add so much to the profession and when we're building places for people and we're coming up with policies that affect people in their day-to-day lives it's really important that you've got people in those positions who understand the communities that they're there to serve yeah and um that's why, for me, diversity is really important because at the end of the day, planning is people-centred. Um, yeah. And I know a lot of people think it's always about, you know, housing delivery and housing, you know, putting up tall buildings. That is an element of it. But at the end of the day, you are creating a space for people. Yes. So people need to always be at the centre of your decision and of your decisions and policy formulations. So mm-hmm. if you've got a wide range of thought, a wide range of experience in the room, then you're more likely to come up with better policies and better plans. Yeah, absolutely. Now, yeah, I agree. And it's something that's been discussed pretty much in every single episode of this podcast so far is diversity and inclusion. And it's something as recruiters, you know, we see as well needs to improve and and that's kind of one of the reasons as well for this podcast was to shed some light on that to attract more people into the industry but what, what do you think obviously that's something that you're you know you're really kind of key on uh, especially now that you've you know joined the organization so what do you think are the key things that we could do or that we should be doing better to help with that 
I think starting again with the um, careers advice. Yeah. I think it, you know, that definitely needs to be worked upon. Um, I think more investment is required, um, you know, because a wide range of schools don't have that service. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that that's spread out and rolled out nationally. Yeah. Every school or, you know, and college, sixth form, that there's someone there. Even if it's one person, you know, for, you know, two to three schools, there, there's that resource. I think within the industry at the moment, there could be more routes to the industry. So I'm really pleased to see the apprenticeship um, schemes coming through as well. That's really important because not everyone wants to go to university and that, no. you know, you need to be able to accommodate those people. So mm-hmm. I'm really pleased to see that coming through. Um, mentoring within for professionals within the industry, that's really mm-hmm. important. You know, being able to identify talent early on and yeah. develop talent um, and recognise the barriers sometimes that's in place and working yeah. to remove some of those barriers um, and actually monitoring what the um, recruitment process is like in your firm or you know industry or you know are we getting people applying from a wide range or are we not if not why not yeah and I know some of these questions are often sometimes difficult to answer, but, you know, if we want to improve and we want to encourage diversity, then at times there are going to be some difficult questions, somewhat potentially uncomfortable for some people that, that need to be answered. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think there is that worry when t- talking about diversity and inclusion, isn't there? Because people, it's almost like people don't want to say the wrong thing or, or, or do yeah. the wrong thing, but you've got to talk about it and um you're right if there's things that you can do within a process that would help you know help this job this potential advert perhaps go out to more people and and different groups of people then you've got to do it so yeah asking those difficult questions definitely it's just getting people to do that isn't it and come out their comfort zone yeah it can be quite daunting you know sometimes people feel a bit immediately on the defensive side yeah and it's not about that it's like you know nobody's getting it right no you, you know when you're not the only company or you know you're not the only recruitment firm or nobody's getting it right but there are some things out there that people are doing that are improving the situation so we yeah. can look at and what can we learn from that it might Definitely. not be that all their solutions fit our company but you know maybe we can take two or three things and work on it and develop yeah. it into something that works for us you know it's just taking that that first baby step I think it is yeah and, and just thinking you know okay you might not be doing it right at the moment or quite right at the moment but it doesn't mean that everyone's frowning upon you thinking you're doing that intentionally you just don't know how to do it right yet yeah yeah so. Yeah, I I agree with that. And then also, like you said, going back to that early piece, which, again, we touched upon at the start, didn't we? Bringing more people into the industry in the first place um, is naturally, bringing more people in the industry in the first place is naturally going to increase the number of people we have throughout the industry that touch on all those those different groups and 
and, and open it up. And I think, again, friendships, like you said, perfect. Um, one of the good things that's happening within like the world of surveying is that there's organisations starting now that actually bring people into the industry who perhaps have already gone down a different career path and actually mm-hmm. want to cross back over. So an example within residential surveying would be Sava, who take people from from any background it can be completely not property related and they'll actually put you through the training to become a residential surveyor and begin the process to become chartered as well um yes I think things like that are great and I mean I found out about that it was probably a good few years ago now and, and they're growing and growing and I think one of the things that always comes to my mind is that there needs to be more of that happening but in all the other different areas of property and construction um mm-hmm. it's just a long process and it'll take um that would yeah, be I, I think that that would be a good idea wouldn't it to to that that would bring people in from from all different backgrounds absolutely and, and i think you know with the current climate there's people looking at potentially you know career changes mm-hmm. and you know why not plan it yeah you know, it's a great career and you could have had a career, I don't know, in finance, for example, and that there, there's many transferable skills into the planning sector. You can look at the economies of the of a scheme and whether the figures all stack up, you know. So absolutely, or securing, you know, infrastructure contributions on behalf of a local authority. There's so much you could do. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, that that that's a fantastic scheme. Mm. Definitely, yeah, definitely absolutely no I I agree and, and hopefully as time goes on you know particularly obviously with the organization you're involved in um and there's lots of different kind of groups isn't there out there and and people supporting different areas of diversity and inclusion and hopefully between all those great movements that are being made things like that will will become more not more prevalent I guess in the different disciplines absolutely I, I think there is a move Towards that in the industry and I think mm. um a lot more a lot more of it um, yeah. there's a lot of management schemes going on at the moment within the industry from different sectors um yeah. so I think now that the the box of diversity and inclusion has been open full and you've got a lot more people being open and talking about it you know and you see you know a lot more companies being proactive about it you know my hope is that this will continue and we'll be seeing a lot more different initiatives across the industry um, promoting diversity and inclusion. Absolutely yeah it's good that people are starting to have these difficult conversations and I think that diversity and inclusion piece and then the mental health piece and you know mental well-being of of staff and, and people within the industry those are two difficult conversations that are starting to be happened so hopefully the future is bright for, for that and steps will be made what do you think um one one of the other kind of questions I ask and and obviously challenges within the industry we've we've touched upon you know actually getting people into the industry diversity inclusion is there any other kind of challenges you foresee particularly maybe even in town planning that kind of the the sector's got to overcome or anything that might come up in the future do you think I think there's a lot that we as planning can do. Um, I think there's some social issues. Um, 
within our communities that have been highlighted especially over the last year yeah I know that animal can play an active role in you know addressing so you know you've got an aging population how do we ensure that our communities are suitable and support the aging population that our housing that we're building is able to be you know adapted for people to stay in from birth all the way through to you know old age for example or you know the housing crisis building houses but we need to make sure that these houses are affordable for the communities in which they're being built yeah um you've got climate change you know a lot of companies are working on a net zero carbon mm-hmm. initiatives and how to um that into our our buildings our day-to-day life our fabric our environmental fabric so there's a lot of work that planners yeah. have to do and other other professionals at the end of the day we all bring these communities and projects to life so yeah there's yeah there's a lot for us to so do much. but yeah, yeah yeah but um you know technology is definitely playing a part in that and making it more accessible and you know planned and proposed for their communities so I think as long as all built environment professionals continue to work together um I think we'll be able to not necessarily resolve all of the issues but make good headway within the next couple of years absolutely brilliant so it's going to be about collaboration then really moving moving forwards those one questions kind of just come to mind that actually you'd probably be a good person to ask this and I didn't prepare for this question, so sorry, but um, I was just thinking about, um, because you're obviously talking about different populations and different areas and things. Obviously, if we look at kind of town centres and things, so with the retail side of things, that's a lot that's going online, as we all know, and there's so many shops closing. What do you think the future of like town centres is going to look like? What's your thoughts on that? I think they're going to move towards being... um, leisure based yeah so more of a destination for going for something to eat you know um socializing yeah um potentially being event centers or you know like if you've got a really nice open space that could be a destination where people go for you know music event or you know a, a cultural festival or something i yeah don't think it will retail will move away completely no I think you will still get people wanting to go into you know special specialist shops yeah so I think there will be an element of that that remains on the high street but I think the big you know brands and things like that I think potentially you'd see them online but small independent specialist niche stores will still remain in the city centre okay I think, you know, yeah you know, I think give another couple of years let's see what happens <laughs> definitely it's always evolving isn't it but um yeah I think I, I'm with you I don't think it'd be the end of the high street but it'll be the end of it kind of as we know it um yeah. definitely and I can yeah. see some of those changes happening already like I know obviously time's difficult and we can't really go anywhere at the moment but there's so many new like restaurants for example opening up near me and that are going to be open and that's kind of indicating I think where it's going to go isn't it like just like you said which is yeah good yeah. to hear but even, uh, 
even in that, I think we, we still need to balance it out. We can't just have all restaurants and mm. in the city centre. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that'd be, you know, a bit much. So, yeah, I think, again, there's a balance, again, that's required there. Just looking at the different uses and what people actually want. You know, do they want all restaurants in the city centre? Mm, probably not. I think, no. you know, variety that's needed so yeah again that's you know planners and local authority you know looking at that and the different uses um yeah just to make something that's usable and yeah. feels like feels like the person who lives there they feel like yeah this is my city center and yeah they can identify with their locality i think that's really important Definitely. I was, um, cause where I live has just been awarded like a grant for regeneration and there's loads of different things they're doing in all the different sectors. But, um, one of the things that I, well, there's actually two things that kind of stood out to me. And one of them was the fact that they're trying to incorporate somewhere for people to go and talk about mental health. Um, which is key. I think that should be something that's kind of everywhere. Um, hugely important. And then the other thing was, um, I don't know if you've seen much of this, but it was actually about a store that was going to be, it was like a supermarket basically, but it was going to be food that was either kind of reduced or lower cost. So it's going to be a more affordable supermarket for people yeah. who, you know, perhaps couldn't afford or were trying to, you know, budget on money, especially due to COVID, which obviously has affected everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I thought that was a really good idea. Have you seen yeah. much of that anywhere else? Oh, sorry. Not that, I, um, not that I personally um, come across. I remember TV, but I can't remember where it was. I yeah. think it was somewhere up north that there was a few of these um, supermarkets springing up. But um, and I think basically they'd get food that was within like two to three weeks left of their shelf life. Yeah. Then, in order for it to reduce food waste, which is another big problem, definitely. Um, it would be um, sold in those supermarkets at a discounted price or, you know, or they were giving it to, you know, like just homeless shelters and um, like that, which yeah. I think is important, mm-hmm. but not necessarily addressing the real root of the problem. Why, why are people That's the question that needs answering. That's true initiatives are great the the root of the problem i feel isn't being addressed there's a lot of band-aids being placed on it um yeah but i think we need to get to the root of it and deal with yeah absolutely i mean i think locally it was like a it was part of a process of i think it was the initial step which like you said is a bit like a band-aid um to try and help people out but their longer term plan was to actually get to the root cause and create more opportunities and um, improve the economy in the area and etc so um yeah sorry I went a bit off tangent didn't prepare you for that but I <laughs> just thought it'd be interesting to discuss with you um so thank you for that um I guess obviously kind of coming to an end now we, we've kind of covered all the key points that I usually cover so probably just finish off really with what what does the future look like for you if you've got any plans with the stuff that you're involved in the work that you're doing Oh, 
what does the future look like for me? Um, <laughs> very bright, I hope. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I'm really interested in social issues and how planning can address that. You probably got that from what I've been talking about today. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the last year has definitely highlighted to me that there's a lot of work to do and can I be part of that and fostering that change? I'm, I do is an underutilised tool. I think it's often forgotten about um, when people are thinking about policy and how to enact change. Um, I think, you know, if there's anything I can do, it'd be to central government in the recovery from covid and we're not just here to build infrastructure and housing although they're really important aspects obviously of our of our mm -hmm. communities um also can help to address like you said you know mental health within communities through designing places that allow people with one another in addressing you know the Asian population in yeah. addressing housing inequality you know so I think it's just really reiterating and hope, helping to get that agenda really that's, that's something I'd love to be involved in Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. It's It's been evident kind of throughout the conversation about the things that you're passionate about, not just within your day-to-day -day role, but the wider, the wider you know, universe really, and, and also how you can make a difference. That's really refreshing to hear. So thank you. Um, we'll, we'll bring it to an end, but thank you so much for your for your time today. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm really sure people are going to learn a lot from you and hopefully it will help some people come into the, the profession as well. Um, so thank you. No worries. Thank you for having me. No. Thank you. You're welcome.